Hi, this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to the special Disney at Play, Disney at Work podcast. Well, in a recent podcast, I overviewed the first three decades of my love of all things Disney and how it eventually got me a full-time salaried position as a leader providing professional development programs to Fortune 100 companies and others at the Disney Institute. I'll canvas that experience, what it was like to wear a name tag and represent the Walt Disney World Company. I'll share the joys of the experience as I worked in nearly every corner of the property to bring benchmarking experiences to participants. I'll also share with you some of the bureaucratic headaches that were a part of the craziness. I'll share my contributions to the Disney Institute my working for Disney was the best thing I ever did in my life professionally. But leaving Disney was the second best thing I ever did. Join us as I talk about the joy of being a Disney cast member. By the way, you may want to just check out Disney at play.com as uh, there'll be a couple images and, uh, and uh, links to some of the things that we're talking about. If you haven't had a chance to hear the first podcast dealing with the first three decades, it was interrupted by another podcast dealing with celebrating the joy of Splash Mountain as it is closed over the weekend. By the way, I, I, I will be the first to acknowledge there are a lot of other things happening at Disney and beyond with Universal's announcements and so forth. Trust me, as we get those things crystallized just a little bit more, I'll have an opportunity to talk about those things as well. We won't leave those things out. I'll cover you all the details. Just hang with me. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, hey, would you please do that? That really helps us as well as, you know, just giving us a good um, positive rating or even a review on um on our, our, uh, our podcast. All right. Well, in the previous podcast, I kind of had an opportunity to talk a little bit about how I was actually first working as a consultant doing um, Disney interactive media with uh, the company, specifically with the marketing division of the company and resort sales and that end of the organization. But it gave me an opportunity to interview with um, uh, Disney. It gave me a couple of opportunities. One of them, I came in with a portfolio of a, an imaginary Disney theme park project called the Disney uh, Institute and Workplace. This was long before there was a Disney Institute. But at any rate, long story short, that never saw the light of day at Disney. But what did uh, happen is I did have an opportunity to actually interview with individuals who were over Disney professional development programs. Now, what had happened, if we can back up a little, there was a book written in the 1980s called In Search of Excellence. And in that book, they said, you know, if you want to see what great corporations do, you ought to go visit them. You ought to go see what they're like. And they recommended going to Walt Disney World and seeing the tunnel and seeing how they treated their guests and their cast members and all of that. Well, that started the phones 
rolling over at the Disney University, which was responsible for all of those things. But they were really only doing internal training of their own cast members. Well, suddenly this looked like an actual new business that could be started up. And under the direction of Valerie Oberly, that's what it became. It became Disney University Professional Development Programs. And they started hosting seminars and workshops and and even going on the road a couple of times to bring some of those programs out to people. And, uh, and that was what I ended up joining, was Disney University Professional Development Programs. Now, prior to this, again, I was working above Italy, and I have to say, I was already experiencing some of the very cool things about working at Disney. The first of those was getting parking access behind all the parks. Well, there were only three parks at that time, just Epcot, Disney's, uh, well, Disney MGM Studios at that time, and Magic Kingdom. Disney's Animal Kingdom had not yet built. I'll talk a little bit about that later. But that was very cool. And then to walk backstage, I mean, the very first day I got my parking access, I left right away and went over to the Magic Kingdom, parked right behind where the conf- um, the area where the confectionery is, and literally went into the tunnel, tried to look like I knew what I was doing and not looking clueless. And back then you could do this. And now it's it's not it's not what it quite was back then. But I walked and walked and walked every part of that tunnel under the Magic Kingdom. It was so not so cool really because it was really syrupy. Actually, what happens is all those feed lines to all those Coca-Cola products, they all bleed down into the tunnel and it smells kind of like fermented Coca-Cola syrup. And then there's this great AVAC machine that is sucking up trash from every corner. It's an engineering novelty and so forth. What made a huge amount of noise. You couldn't quite figure out the noise. I later learned or was told that the noise was largely ice cubes bouncing back and forth as they were being sucked through the system. Um, And frankly, some of the parts of the tunnel, the utilidor were kind of dark and dingy and not well painted. It was kind of an era where things weren't really kept, but it was also where the slide library was. And back then, if you wanted a photo of Walt Disney World, one of the the, um, company corporate photos, they were kept on slides. And so you go to the slide library, which was pretty much in the area, I would say it was pretty much in the area, kind of underneath the the Main Street Cinema, about that area at that time. And you would see rows after rows after rows after rows of slides, which led to kind of how the programs were actually um, built. They utilized slides or slide carousels as they would teach these professional development programs. Well, when I was brought on, they realized that it's the 1990s. We need to update the multimedia. Here I had done what was essentially the first um, online interactive tools uh, at at all of Walt Disney World. And so they were looking for me to bring that kind of high-tech sense of, of ideas with me as I, 
as I uh, joined the organization at Disney University Professional Development Programs, which had been separated by that time from um, the Disney University. The Disney University is behind the Magic Kingdom. Disney University Professional Development Programs had been moved to a place called Westwood. Westwood is, well, if you take I-4 and you head just past the, well, you'd take the the exit of SeaWorld, but if you were actually to stay on and it kind of does a turn toward Universal, um, I-4, you could actually see these buildings. They're just corporate buildings off to the side, but Disney not having enough space to house all of its cast members everywhere ended up renting space and one of those places was Westwood which was only a block and a half away from SeaWorld. So one of the disappointing aspects was that you wanted to be in the middle of the magic. I mean I had initially worked above Italy. I mean I could I could you know start and end my day to illuminations and take a walk around world showcase when I needed a break. It was in the middle of the magic. This was not in the middle of the magic. They made the best of it they could at Westwood, created some public spaces, kind of patio areas. People could get together and talk and so forth, but it was not the middle of the magic. What was magical was attending my first orientation known as Disney Traditions. This is legendary. I teach it to corporations and organizations how to do your own orientation and build that orientation and so forth. And I had the privilege and opportunity to attend it like everyone else. I had also kind of visited the casting center, but I didn't go through the grand tradition of going up the staircase and seeing the movies and all the things that they had. Rather, I came in through a side door and went to somebody's cubicle and filled out a bunch of paperwork. Um, but I did attend Disney Traditions, which at that time was a day and a half. Um, probably, uh, and I remember, you know, you, you had different activities. They, one of them was introduce yourself and share your favorite character. And uh, what was the name of the character from Black Cauldron that I, what the little fuzzy guy? God, I can't even remember his name, but I, I, I think I used him as my character and any rate, you kind of went through the experience. The highlight of the experience was really Claudio. Claudio was one of our traditions uh, trainers, and he was remarkable in a couple of different ways. First off, when we got ready to go, part of the uh, experience is actually busing over to the Magic Kingdom. You go behind the scenes, get off of Fantasyland, go through the tunnel, go up, and actually walk part of the Magic Kingdom. As we got ready to get on the buses, somebody was having some kind of uh, heat stroke or something. It was a pretty warm day. And I I watched Claudio really stop and make safety a first priority, which it is, in the organization, and really pay attention to them. Eventually, we got to the park, and I remember walking it with Claudio. Back in those days, people could smoke in the park. I remember Claudio standing in front of the partner statue in front of Cinderella Castle, and with his bare hands, picking out cigarette butts from that little area where the statue was. I mean, Claudio demonstrated what it meant to be a cast member. He was just, Claudio Diaz, he was just an amazing guy and later actually would come to join the Disney Institute and would play a big role when I started my own company later on. I'll get to that a little later. But at any rate, 
Um, so Disney Traditions was a pretty special thing, and it ends on the second day with you getting your name tag. And that meant a lot. Wearing a Disney name tag felt like you were part of something really special. And even today, I have a little shadow box with uh, several of my different uh, Disney name tags over the years as we went through different celebrations, such as the uh, 25th anniversary of Walt Disney World. These name tags mean so much to me because I took great pride in the fact that I got to be one of those people who wore a Disney name tag. It was just really, really special. And there were a lot of special things. The great perk about working at Walt Disney World for me was being able to take my family to Walt Disney World. Up to that point, we had been blessed with friends in the area who who were cast members and who got us into the park. Now we were able, I was able to take my own family. And uh, there were there's three different kind of passes. One at the top is the gold football. The bottom is kind of the frontline pass. The frontline pass allowed you to bring someone 12 times a year or once a month on average. Um, you're either th three other people or the number of people in your family. Uh, the Silver Pass allows you to bring your family members or three people. In my case, family members meant at that point we had four children and plus my wife. So it was, for me, able to take five people with me um, at, in those early days. And, uh, and you could go to the park every single day. And then Gold Pass was the same thing every single day, but you could take as many people as you wanted to the park. And so we took advantage of that and went every weekend to Walt Disney. My kids grew up going to Walt Disney World, to the different parks. Um, one of the great things is they got to participate in special programs where they um, were you know, testing out things uh, that were programs dedicated to kids, or we were first to experience attractions like uh, Buzz Lightyear, uh, Astro Blaster, just lots of little, um, they were in a number of videos that I did, I'll get into that a little bit later, but, but um, my family really grew up around the Walt Disney World experience. In fact, so much that um, there was a list at Walt Disney World because there was some concern that some cast members might sell their tickets or sell the privilege of getting people into the park in order to make money on the side. And so there was a list of the top 100 cast members who used the tickets, their passes the most. And I subsequently got on the list a lot. Most of the time I got on the list and um, that meant I had to visit with the executive vice president of the company, Diana Morgan. She was sweetheart because she understood I had a big family. So every time I visited, I, you know, she checked off the box and we talked about my kids and it was, it was really kind of a, a fun top thing. But I, I estimated at one time at Disney prices back then, which I think was somewhere went from somewhere around 50 to 75 during my time period there. 
and we easily used $20,000 worth of tickets because of the number of times uh, we went to. Did photo shoots of our kids. It was just very, very cool. Now, uh, my first assignment working at um, Disney University Professional Developments was, hey, you have this ability with media and technology and instructional design. We need great instructional. We need something more than a carousel of slides. If you know what a slide carousel is, it's this big brown tray and you could put in up to, I, can't, I think it was 50 or 100 slides. I can't remember the number. And it would go in linear order. And you would be able to do a presentation with these slides. It was antiquated as you were going into the 1990s. And so they gave me, first of all, they gave me not only this mandate to go do something different, they also gave me a budget of $200,000 to create new media. The problem was, is I was joining sometime, what was my, I think my date when I joined was somewhere in July maybe the 1st of July. And I only had till September 30th to use the money because the money would go away at the end of the fiscal year. And the fiscal year was over on September 30th. And I said, okay, well, give me the scripts. Then I'll go and produce all this. I'll go get a cast of people or, you know, um, videographers and people to shoot, do lighting and sound and all that. I knew how to do that. I had done that extensively. And they were like, well, yeah, we need to write the script. <laughs> and so I had people writing a script. And then the next day I was shooting the script. And it, and, and some of the scripts I wrote. And it was, it was just, it was bizarrely crazy and frantic. In fact, my first 90 days in my job spent very little time in the office. I was out on property filming and creating new media with this budget that needed to be used by the end of this time period. And uh, and that was a very cool experience because we got to do a lot of great shoots. We got to go to a lot of great places. I was up in the Tower of Terror at midnight shooting uh, and then we had a pizza party later on the in the library, but we had to we mounted the camera on a special device they had, and then shot seven rounds. If you can imagine going on uh, Tower of Terror seven times in a row without getting off of the thing, actually going back into the rotation, and it was all craziness. And um, I remember filming in the magic of Disney animation wanted to do something around the Oscar presentations that they had and everything. Well, it turns out this is a museum. Disney has museums and this is one of their museums and the alarms go off at midnight when, and I had to have a special museum curator with me. It was all sorts of craziness, but we just had this frantic pace to get all this media done. And then we had to go and do all the post work on it. Well, my vision for this thing was twofold. One was, all right, let's get rid of carousels, slides, and let's go and do, um, let's go and do um, PowerPoint. PowerPoint had just come out. Laptops were now a thing out there, and it was the 90s. Let's give everybody a, 
uh, laptop, give them PowerPoint, put the images there. They can move the images around to the order they want. And, and it's going to be so much easier to go and do a presentation. Well, time out here. Time out. This company being a tech a company founded on technology. Remember Mickey being the first sound a cartoon and everything? You would think it would be advanced in all things media and technology. And no, no. At that point, you had to go get written permission from two people from two levels above you to get a pager to wear um, out in the park. And this idea of doing laptops, oh, let me tell you, they thought that was like, no way. We can't give the facilitators laptops. They're going to lose them. They're going to be stolen. And and they won't know how to use them. We can't give them laptops. Uh, well, I'm telling you, my first thing was to fight the idea of, no, they got to have laptops. By the way, they still use laptops today. But, but before I got there, I had to fight the good fight. And when I didn't win that fight initially, I had to come up with another solution. Well, the solution was to go put all the images on a laser disc. And then using um, uh, laser disc uh, projectors and, and, and uh, readers, we would barcode. In fact, we actually would put a leader's guide and on the side, we would put a certain barcode, the image or the video you needed to show. And so you'd have this barcode wand and you'd you'd scan it and the barcode would instantly, I mean, instantly go to this particular image or video and play. And it was good, high technology. We had the discs cut over at um, backstage at Disney MGM Studios. And so we set this whole thing up to do video disc players and video discs and barcodes and let me tell you the facilitators had a fit they absolutely had a fit about doing this and i understood why because it was really they should have had laptops to begin with but i couldn't win the argument on laptops so we went the laser disc and some of them were having to go on the road and literally carry a box with a cushion laser displayer not something you really want to put on a plane but they had to carry it from one city to the next it was so stupid and and they knew it was stupid and i knew it was stupid but they got to when when they were frustrated most about it they would say barcode this <laughs> And, and that was the expression for how it was rather than cussing, they would say barcode this cover. And, and it was just, it became a joke, but it was a joke about how stupid the technology was. It was a, a incredibly advanced technology, but the wrong fit technology for facilitators who needed to go to a Disney hotel or on the road or wherever they needed to go. So any rate, I spent many, many months, um, the better part of the first year, doing not only the production work that had to be done by September 30th, but then we paid the production company in advance to doing all the post work for us. And so I, it was the better end of the year before I really actually came back to Westwood and to the rest of my job. And that was probably one of the problems 
I initially had. I didn't connect. I didn't associate much with the rest of the cast of the Disney University Professional Development Group because, well, I was actually working a lot closer with the production team out at Altamont Springs on the north side of Orlando doing doing development work. I became very close to them and they they were terrific friends, but the people I needed to connect with, well, they were back at the Westwood building. So that was one of the one of the first difficulties I had was actually assimilating back into the experience. I think they recognized that as well. I had one individual, TL who later became my boss in the in the end, but she was a co-worker. And she tried to take me out to lunch one Saturday when I was still finishing work over at Italy. And I remember her, her generosity in taking the time to do that and learning and partnering and building relationships. They were much better at building relationships than I was. I was focused on giving deliverables, not really in networking and building relationships. One of the things that I was asked to do as this initial effort on media was happening, it was I was asked to take over the Disney approach to customer service. And it was their most their biggest program. It kind of tied with their other one, which was the Disney approach to people management, which looked at how uh, cast members were selected and trained. Uh, at the Disney University and Disney Traditions and all of that. But um, but my responsibility was to really be the designer responsible for redoing and revisiting uh, the customer service program. Well, no problem with that. So the first thing to do was to see the existing program. And I remember going to the Contemporary Resort and sitting on the first night, the facilitator, I think it was Jeff Solari, fantastic facilitator, um, and he he started to kind of introduce the concepts and all that was fine. And then we were going to have a big dinner. And the big dinner was eloquent. It had roses. It had a beautiful layout at each table. And it was all themed to be uh, to Beauty and the Beast, which was tied to be our guest. And what, what a perfect theme and tie, no? But at the same time, I'm looking at the budget. And I'm thinking, okay, so you know... Just because you're Disney and you ask for Beauty, Belle and Beast to come visit you, they ain't coming for free. There is a department that is billing you, and that's not a pretty bill. And then you add all the food and beverage that the hotel at the Contemporary is adding to. I mean, we went through practically 30% of our budget on opening night, and it's a three-and-a-half-day program. So that was, a, that was my first red flag to the program. As beautiful as it was... And esteemed as it was to customer service, it was still, uh, well, kind of expensive. So then, uh, the next day or two, I remember sitting, again, in the Contemporary Resort, and they're talking about attention to detail, paying attention to detail. And the example was given was the long shot, medium shot, and close-up shot of the China Pavilion at Epcot. And... As this was being presented by the facilitator, up came a slide of a long shot of the China Pavilion. Then up came a medium shot of the Temple of Heaven. And then up came a close-up shot, shot of, of that same Temple of Heaven. 
And I'm sitting there looking at this. We're sitting in a conference room in the Contemporary Resort. And I'm thinking, why aren't we just getting on a monorail and going over to Epcot and walking World Showcase and seeing this in China? This just would make sense. Well, as I kind of brought this to their attention, they said, yeah, but you got to pay for a motor coach and we don't have money for a motor coach. I said, well, if you get rid of Bell and Beast, you have money for a motor coach. If you get rid of the, if the roses that we're paying for on opening night, you got room for a motor coach. So I threw out all of the, the very niceties of the program and got down to paying for a lot of motor coaches and to doing programs. And probably that was one of the biggest contributions I made was rethinking how could we spend almost every moment possible. We'd start the morning at at um, at the home hotel location, but then we would go out and spend the morning and have lunch out in the parks or wherever we were going and then spend some time in the afternoon and then come back for the last hour or two of the day back at the uh, the home hotel. And so this became the new normal in professional development programs. And boy, I stacked it big with the Disney customer service program. I put the Magic Kingdom and walking from the back of Splash Mountain through that queue before the guests came in to watching rope drop happening as the guests were coming in through Frontierland to then walking down Main Street and taking a bus out behind Main Street. The Then taking, or no, we didn't take a bus over to Main Street. We took a monorail over to the Polynesian. We would do a meal, lunch at Ohana. We were the first to do lunches at Ohana. At that point, the Ohana was only doing dinner. And we would listen to um, them talk about how they put the spirit of Aloha into their cast and people. Oh, it was so great. Um, we had Auntie Cowie coming and doing the luau and, and um, Mary. And, and there, there's a team of people that were just so fantastic uh, some of them came over to Disney Institute later on, and we had that experience at the Polynesian. The next day, we went to Epcot, and we went to the Living Seas. We went and toured the experience, but then we took over their, their meeting space. They have beautiful meeting space behind the scenes at Epcot that overlooks the tanks, that has their own conference room. It is drop-dead gorgeous. We had breakfast there, and then we walked to the top of the tank and heard from folks at the Living Seas. It was powerful. And then we did a sort of scavenger hunt kind of experience around World Showcase, had lunch over at Morocco, um, at Marrakesh, and then came back. And then the third day, we went to Disney's Hollywood Studios and went to the Tower of Terror before it opened, met with T.J. Wallard, and, and did a tour of that experience, and then uh, came over to Primetime Cafe and had breakfast, and then we finished up back at the hotel. I'm telling you, this was, this was a totally different kind of experience that was very much in the trench, and gave people a real connected experience with the cast, with the property, with the total guest experience. It was very, very unique. And it and it led the way to how uh, really programs are more today. Um, I'm, I'm assuming as they have continued on the uh, Disney Institute. By the way, 
an important aspect of this uh, comes during this time. And that is that there was another um, property that had opened at the beginning of the year, and it was called the Disney Institute. Now, the Disney Institute was born of Chautauqua. Uh, in other words, uh, Eisner and his wife would go to Chautauqua up in, in upper state New York, and they would do these art and craft programs, and and guest speakers would come, and musical uh, groups would come in and perform. And they thought that, hey, this would be great at Walt Disney World. And they had a property to do it. The property was what was the Buena Vista Club, where the golf club course was. And there were lots of townhouses and lots of villas. And nobody was really occupying that space. What if we redid that, took about $30 million and added classrooms and that type of thing and created programs where people could learn about canoeing and art and rock climbing and... and uh, cooking, there was a big kitchen facility and filmmaking and animation and all of these different programs. I remember um, touring this when they were having open houses. Um, and each of the classes, and this is the 90s, each of the classes, as I recall, cost somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 to $80 per class. And their idea was come learn and enjoy the morning doing programs or the day and then go over to the parks in the evening. Well, this wonderful idea of a program fell incredibly flat. Nobody was going to pay that amount of money when they could take the same program over at, well, over at um, their local library. Why? And I mean, if you're going to come to Walt Disney World, I want to go see the parks. I don't want to go spend my time uh, learning how to, you know, make a souffle. You know, I could do that back home someplace. And so it became very apparent very quickly. I mean, within a few months that these pro that this programming and the they had brought in all of these top professionals. And there were some really great people, including my good friend Jim Corcus and others who came in and brought in expertise on so many different levels. There were brilliant people and there was nobody coming to class. And they realized they had a program problem and that it wasn't going to, and, and just changing the price and making it lower uh, was not necessarily going to fix this problem. It just wasn't something people were attracted to. And yet, this had this had Michael Eisner and Jane Eisner's name all over it. It had to succeed, right? Well, maybe if you could change, keep the name and change what actually was happening in terms of programming. And so what was Disney University Professional Development Program now became the Disney Institute. And all those classes, most of them were taken out, some were kept. An invitation was given to us to figure out how you could put in a culinary experience into your employee engagement program or how you could add... Um, something about animation into your customer service. And they, they just tried to, to fuse these two things together. 
and it was not a good fit. And it was probably one of the, if there was a good side to it, it was the Disney Disney University Professional Development Programs finally, after all these years, had a place, a home. And in fact, that home was known, I mean, most of the programs that I did was in the Little Red Schoolhouse. I don't think it's little, it's red anymore. In fact, it's so funny because um, if you, if, just to know, this all eventually goes away and becomes what you know as Saratoga Springs. So when they made that remodel, they took all the artwork and sold it. And I happened upon this piece that shows the class, that shows the school building where I used to teach all my programs. And uh, it hangs at the uh, at the bottom of my staircase on the way up the stairs and uh, managed to get it for like 25 bucks. Big portrait. It's a well-done portrait of this of this schoolhouse. And, uh, and it is my home. But... But what ended up happening is that um, Disney Institute management from the programs ended up taking over the management of Disney University professional development programs. And the individual in charge of Disney University professional development programs suddenly had to retire, for lack of a better term. And that was very disappointing because the individual who was with Disney Institute Professional Development Programs had, or with Disney Institute, which now was being married with these programs, not only did not know Disney, I mean, point blank, did not know Disney, but she was forcing a square peg in a round hole with trying to make all of these professional, these, these, cooking programs and gardening programs fit in with what was professional development programs. And so I'm no longer working for Disney University Professional Development Programs, as long as that title was. I am now working for the Disney Institute. Well, there's more to this story and some great experiences as I had the opportunity and privilege of working with amazing companies in developing and sharing and uh, and uh, bringing Disney magic into Fortune 100 companies that I ended up working with. But I can tell already that this podcast is going a little on the long side. So maybe what was three programs is now maybe four programs. But I do want to share some of the really great things and go back to the privilege it was to work in every corner of the park at Walt Disney World was a great experience, but it also was a difficult experience. One in which, well, has a very interesting ending to it, but we'll save that ending to the next time. Thank you for joining us for this Disney at work and play podcast. Appreciate you kind of listening to this. This is all part of our opportunity to celebrate uh, my organization, Performance Journeys, that is celebrating its 20th anniversary this month. And I felt like this story needed to be shared. So I promise other podcasts to come in between this, uh, the rest of these um, stories. But I do want to share a little bit about what it was like to be a Disney cast member. Meanwhile, please check out um, our 
webpage disney at play.com know that the uh, page also offers you insights about our wayfinder society it's our patreon group and uh, i would invite you to consider joining that and uh, check out all the offerings that we have here at disney at work and play thank you for being part of this podcast for joining us in the words of sinbad's storybook voyage i hope you always Follow the compass of your heart. I know I had to during these years and in so many years that followed. Have a great day. We'll see you real soon. <laughs>